Amen. He is faithful and he has always been faithful. And today we celebrate his faithfulness. It shows up sometimes through people in our lives. And today, of course, is Mother's Day. So again, we wish you all a very happy Mother's Day. Welcome to everyone who is here this morning, especially all the ladies uh, who are here with their children and grandchildren. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, in reference to the word mother, I use it in the broadest terms possible. I was speaking with someone this week, and so many times uh, the individual who plays the role of mother is not necessarily the one who gave birth, but there are others who play that role. Sometimes we're talking about a grandmother, we're talking about a neighbor, we're talking about someone at church, we're talking about sometimes an uh, aunt or even an uncle, sometimes there are males in our lives who play that role. Um, I will tell you that I was one of those. I was very blessed with a great mom. I've told people before, um, until I, of course, now I know my wife, so it's a little bit different. But there for a long time, I thought that my mom was just the best mom in the world. Now she's second best. Uh, so the rest of you guys are playing for third place, just to let you all know. So, um, But I'm very grateful for the role that my mom played. But one of the best decisions my mom ever made was to get us involved in a church. Uh, where in reality there were many, many other people who played the role of a mom and a dad for us. Uh, so grateful for those who have invested in our lives. For some, Mother's Day is a day of reminder uh, of the good times, of the joy that comes with it. So we rejoice over that. We rejoice over the impact people have made. But I also recognize that for some today, it's also a reminder of loss. Uh, it's a, a reminder of those whom we love who are no longer with us. Uh, sometimes it reinforces the reality and the struggle of wanting to become a mother, yet not being able to do so. And still there are probably some who, when we celebrate Mother's Day, their first thought is, why would I celebrate Mother's Day? I don't even get along with my mom. So I want you to recognize today that uh, we realize that there are many different people who respond differently to Mother's Day. But this is an opportunity for us to give thanks to God for his faithfulness. And sometimes it shows up through people like our moms. And we ought to be grateful for that. In fact, one of the things I would like to do now is a little bit different. But I would like to just pray specifically for those who perhaps Mother's Day is a struggle for them. So if you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we recognize that Mother's play an incredibly important role in who we become. We are so grateful for the role that they play. Uh, today, there are some who we rejoice over the impact that our mothers have had, but there are others today that grieve. There are others today that wish that they could be a mom. There are others today that uh, wish that their relationship with their mom were different. Lord, I pray today that you would bring healing and comfort. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work through our time together today, maybe to simply help us recognize the role we can play in the lives of others around us. Lord, may you be honored now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I look around the church today, I get a deep sense of satisfaction because I know many of the mothers who are present here today. And I know the type of love that you have displayed for your children and for others who are around you. Children in this room, you are blessed to have godly mothers like those that I see sitting around us today. I would encourage you to 
express your appreciation to them today. One of the things some people say, well, why don't we do church on Sunday night on Mother's Day? I'm going to tell you very clearly. It's because I want you to have as much opportunity as possible to express your love and appreciation to your mom. If she is close by today, I want to encourage you, go and see her, spend time with her, Let her know that you love her and that you appreciate her. If she is not close by, you need to pick up the phone. Uh, You need to make sure that you get in contact just to let her know that she is one of the most important people who have played a role in who you are today. Take advantage of today to spend time giving thanks to them. Now, today's message is going to be about the power of a godly mother. And I do believe today that when a woman plays the role that she is supposed to play within a family, that it impacts everybody. Before I say anything else, let me remind you of our key verse. It's found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We've been using it throughout this whole series. In this particular verse, Micah asked the question. He says, what does the Lord require of you? And then he answers the question for us. He says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I believe that it's safe to say that when a mother genuinely pursues this verse out, that she has the ability to become an incredible world changer. Let me begin by giving you a little background today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2, so you can go ahead and look there. Exodus chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. But as we look at this, the sermon today encounters or it centers around a mother who when faced with a difficult, life-threatening situation, she took matters into her own hands in order to save her family. Jacob and his 12 sons have been dead for centuries by this point, but their descendants have multiplied greatly, so much that it scared the king of Egypt, who reasoned in his mind that if they kept multiplying, then eventually they would outnumber the Egyptians And they would simply take over the country. So he devised a plan. A scheme which ordered the midwives to kill all of the male children. The idea was if if we can cut off a generation of male children, then perhaps we will not be at risk down the road. But of course, as many of you know, many of the midwives probably didn't like that job. So they did everything they could not to do it. All of that leads to... Uh, the passage here in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and this is what it says. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, And put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. We begin this morning with a declaration that a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. It's a simple statement, but it reveals something relatively significant about the child's parents. Later on in chapter 6, we'll actually get a little more information about them, including their names. The dad is a guy named Amran, and the mother is a lady named Jochebed. But the significance of them being Levites is in the fact that they would eventually become the high priestly family. And now while the text says nothing about this couple's prayer life or church attendance or ministry involvement, based on their ancestral association and how this story would unfold, we can conclude with some degree of certainty that these two people had a deep sense of fear and reverence for God. In fact, it appears that they loved God and were willing to do what was good for their family and what would bring honor and glory to God. Now, where this comes into play for us is the fact that we all have some type of heritage. Every one of us has some heritage. For some of us, we look at it and we think of it in big picture heritage. And we think of ourselves as, you know, we have an American heritage. We have a nation that uh, is founded on godly principles, and that's our heritage. But if we really get technical, we can move in much, much closer than just our national heritage. Uh, We live in the South, and in the South, things are very different. As one who has lived out in the Midwest and one who has lived in the Northeast, I will tell you, it's very different here in the South. Your heritage here is very different from what you would expect if you were raised in one of these other areas of the nation. Getting even closer, uh, your heritage is dictated by the people that you've grown up around. And when I say that, I'm not talking about family. I'm talking about maybe even the people in this church, the folks who have played a role in your life, who have encouraged you, individuals who have been role models for you, who have reached out to you and loved you in, in opportunity after opportunity. Your heritage is dictated in many ways by that. But of course, it still gets closer. Your heritage is what you have grown up with, which includes your family. For some of you, you've had an incredible heritage. You've had a godly mom and a godly dad who have gone out of the way to show you what it is to be a child of God. What an incredible heritage to have that. One that doesn't just show it to you on Sunday morning. One who doesn't just live one way when they're in front of everybody at church and then live a completely different way at home. What an incredible heritage to have that godly influence around you. Now, you and I both know that not everybody has that heritage, though. There are many who will attend church every Sunday, but they do not have a godly heritage. Their mom and their dad may have never even experienced Christ. But what I will tell you is this. God's hand has been upon you all the way until this point to bring you to a point where you would find his grace. Your heritage is much more real to you than what maybe you realize that it is. Sometimes I've actually talked with individuals who will talk about themselves as being self-made individuals. 
and they do not realize how much other people have influenced them. Maybe for you, when you think of your heritage, you think of a godly mom. You think of a grandmother. Maybe you think of a pastor. You think of a friend, a family member. Maybe you think of a spouse. I would encourage you today to recognize the incredible privilege you have to say thanks to those people who have been a part of your heritage. The way you live your life now, you will either honor them or you will dishonor them. Celebrate the heritage which you have. But of course, I also want you to realize today that your heritage, what you leave behind, is important. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in looking at the people of our past, the people who have played a role to get us where we're supposed to be, that we fail to realize that we now are laying a heritage for others. What difference does it make if I choose to honor God with my life? Does it affect me? Does it affect my children? Will it affect my grandchildren? I believe today that the heritage I leave behind is incredibly important. And I think it would be valuable for us to maybe hear the testimony of someone who basically has shared how God has worked in his heritage. Bruce Kelly, would you come up here and just share with us for a few minutes? Uh, I have one of the greatest things I get to do is just to hang out with people from the church. And uh, I guess probably about a month or so ago, uh, Bruce and I were talking at breakfast one Monday morning. And he shared a little bit of his story. And I've asked him if he would just share this with you this morning. I think it would be very beneficial. I do ask, you're taller than me, so I'm going to put that up there higher for you. this week, reference Mother's Day, um, what a blessing grandmothers are. I, uh, my working life, I did 40 years as a firefighter, paramedic in Miami. Most of those years I chose to work in uh, notorious Liberty City, which was a African-American, we called it a ghetto. There were so many poor people stuck in there. Uh, so much uh, death, uh, destruction, uh, the many things that you would find in a big inner city area. A lot of childbirths, uh, many of them quite young, 13, 14 years old. We delivered uh, a third baby to a 17-year-old mother. That was her third baby at that age. But the one thing I always noticed in those homes was it was the grandmother that raised those kids. The mother was 14, 15, 16 out on the street somewhere, but the grandmother was always there. She was always raising those children. Uh, grandmothers, happy Mother's Day to you. You're a blessing in disguise. Uh, you're so useful. Anyway, um, I'll uh, tell you a story about uh, what God did in our life, um, how he brought a family to salvation um, through something that happened with our daughter, Shannon. But let me tell you first about her. Many of you knew Shannon. Uh, she passed away age 37 uh, about 18 months ago. Uh, she left us six children from uh, 10 down to newborn. I, I see this family. I think of them a lot. Uh, quite a bit. They live next to us. We get to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, it left a dad that uh, 
just didn't know what to do. Uh, his church, a Mennonite church where they go, stepped in and is uh, building a big addition onto their little tiny house and uh, caring for them and enrolled the kids in their school. And So the kids are off to a good start in life. We're just missing uh, our Shannon. But the story behind Shannon and the lead back to this that I want to make the point on is uh, she was uh, about a year old. Uh, she was our second daughter. Our first daughter we had was Monica. Uh, Fifteen years went by, and we lost two children uh, during pregnancy. Uh, and then Shannon came along. I was older in life. I had time to spend with her. And, uh, boy, I just loved spending the time with her. It was uh, a joy. We grew up very close. Uh, at a year of age, uh, a doctor determined uh, she had a heart defect, although it didn't show outwardly. Um, and at age five, they said, well, go ahead and do the surgery on her. Uh, I was, a, as I said, a, a medic, and I knew what that meant, stopping the heart. And would it start again? Uh, we'll come back to this in a minute. Surgery was successful. It was done in Birmingham, Alabama, a large uh, pediatric cardiology and oncology hospital that they have there. Surgery was successful. Many Christian people were put into our path through that period of time. Um, she grew up to be a uh, fine young woman, went off to college, uh, homeschooled most of her years, went off to college and uh, became a teacher. Although she didn't teach but just a couple of years, married and started having children. She always wanted to have a dozen. Uh, she had six. <laughs> Came home after her sixth child, uh, Cardiologist monitored her through, through the whole time and uh, said she was fine, but uh, something was wrong. And the Lord took her home. She went to bed one night uh, just after coming home from, with a sixth child and just didn't wake up in the morning. Um, it was a shock. We made it through that. We're continuing on. We suffered the loss greatly. The children are well. The family's well. Uh, God's got great things in store for us. I want to go back to the point in time she was a year old when they found out she had a heart defect. And it was going to mean that uh, at, as I said, age five, because she had no real outward uh, indications of a heart defect, they said age five is an ideal age for a young child to have a heart, def uh, heart surgery. Um, and leading up to that time, I began to search for the Lord. We uh, came from a Catholic background, which I'm sure there's many other former Catholics here. Um, knowing that we were bound for heaven, that the Protestants were not. <laughs> uh, I want to say that Pastor Wiggins, Gail, and Bud Sexton prayed for us. For years prayed for us to find the Lord. And I think that had such an effect on us that we didn't realize at the time that God put this child into our life with this heart defect to cause us to seek him, to search for him, to find him. And it took a while uh, for this hard-headed Catholic to finally admit that I could not find the Lord in the Catholic Church. It was, it was ritual, and that was about it. There was no uh, 
no closeness like there is here. There was no very little speaking of God, uh, nothing about salvation through Jesus Christ. I was invited to a Protestant church. Diane and I went uh, to the church. It took some doing to get me there. And I remember uh, pulling up at the parking lot and sitting in the car for a while and finally driving off. I didn't even go in. I couldn't possibly step in there as a Catholic as I viewed myself. But as time went on, we did uh, get introduced and start attending a, uh, a Baptist church, which was uh, some good people and some good teaching. And we bought our first Bible, uh, learned of the Lord. We uh, were eventually baptized after we accepted the Lord. Um, as we went on through life, our, our daughter Shan, uh, Monica, um, 15 years old, our daughter Monica married and uh, began to have children. She became a Christian. Her children, as they grew, became Christians. Um, Shannon certainly was, she and her husband. My parents, my mother was a Catholic, my father was really nothing religious-wise, and uh, prior to their death, um, they both accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. I can look back now and I can see that five generations, which includes my great-grandchildren, and I have two young great-grandchildren from Mackenzie, my oldest granddaughter, second oldest granddaughter, and they go to church, they sing about Jesus. I have no reason to think they won't continue on the same path as the rest of the Christian family. I can look back almost 40 years ago to that point in time when we knew that she'd be having heart surgery. I knew as a medic that it meant her heart would probably be stopped. Would it start again? And I thought this was the worst time in my life. Lord, why would you give me this beautiful child that I loved so much and then cause such a defect in her? What good could possibly come of this? No good that I could see. But now as I stand here and look back, I can see that generation after generation after generation has been brought to the Lord because of what happened to her that I thought had no benefit at all. And it does. So I, I guess that I, I want to say to you is that, you know, be encouraged when bad things do happen, when you do suffer in the family, that God is right there. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He knows what's best for you. Pray and trust in him that, that his will be done. That is it. Thank you so much. And I want to thank this church. They've given such support to that family of mine over the many years, to Shannon and her children. Pastor Link taught several of them. Uh, had such wonderful support from this church. Thank you so much. God bless you. And I would encourage you from this is to simply recognize that the choice made by a mother and father many, many years ago is still impacting their family generations down the road. Uh, I'm grateful that there was a day that my mom made a choice 
that she was going to seek the Lord. And if not for that, then perhaps I don't stand in front of you today. My grandkids, my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and further down the road, they will be reaping the benefit of one who made a choice a long time before. So make sure that you have made that choice. As we get back to the passage that we've been looking at here, we see uh, a woman who was uh, clearly a part of a godly heritage, but she also was one who was, she had godly perception. And uh, what I see in this passage is uh, we're, we're told that she looked and she saw that her child was fine. And I, I use fine with the quotation marks there. It's an interesting statement simply because of the fact that all parents perceive their children to be fine or to be beautiful. In fact, when you see a newborn, you're supposed to say, oh, what a beautiful baby, even if it's not. You get, not, that, not that a baby couldn't be. It's possible that this is simply a statement regarding the fact that he had no obvious birth defects. Or perhaps this is related to her own perception that God had the ability to make something incredible out of this little boy. It is likely that she was observant. At an early age, she already saw this child as a precious gift from God. Mothers, don't dismiss what God is showing you, even when it appears um, far and impossible. Speak it over them and leave it in the hands of the all-knowing God. Don't be afraid even as your children are small, to instill in them the fact that God has a plan for their lives. Somehow, she perceived that this boy, even at three months old, was destined for greatness. So she says that he was fine. We're not really sure, but we are sure of this, uh, of what we are sure of is the fact that every child does have a purpose. Moms and dads, you don't know what that purpose is going to be. I have dreams for my children, and I can imagine what I want them to be, but God's plan is much better than my plan. His ways are much higher than my ways, and what I need to do is to recognize that they are in His hands. The truth is, our children are entrusted to us as a gift from God, and He is the one who has authority over what happens in their lives. I confess that at times it is easier for me to see problems in my kids as opposed to seeing the opportunities and the blessings that they have. At times we are far more naturally drawn toward words of rebuke rather than words of encouragement, building our kids up. But we must be intentional to never forget the potential for good which they hold in their hands. Every day I try to encourage my children with this statement, be a blessing to someone today. And I want to encourage you as well to instill within your children a desire, almost an intentionality that they would be a blessing to allow God to work through them to encourage someone else. The next thing that we see in this passage is not only that we have a godly heritage, a woman who has chosen to serve the Lord, not only one who is perceptive enough to recognize that God is working even in this situation, but one who is willing to act in a godly manner. A godly act is displayed here. We take the initiative to ensure that our families survive. So many, so many of our mothers have had to do this. It is interesting to me that there's really very little mention of the father in this story. 
We know that there's a father that's present. We're told that he is a Levite man and that he marries a Levite woman and she becomes pregnant. He probably played a role in that. But really, we hear nothing else about him. We know later on that he'll be defined. We have a specific name, Amran, that is given later on. But really, he has no role in this story, at least that we are told of. Instead, we hear about a mother who is doing whatever it takes to provide for her kids. I will say this, that far too many families in our country today mirror that description I just gave, where there are mothers who are involved in the lives of their children, but sometimes fathers are absent from the home. Even if they are there, they're absent in the manner that they simply are not involved in the lives of their children. I want to encourage fathers for a moment to recognize the blessing that we have of wives that love our kids and do incredible things for them, but recognize the importance of your role. You have children that desperately need to see a man of God. They desperately need to know what it is to be a father because one day they're going to be a mother and a father, and if they haven't seen it lived out by you, then the odds are they're going to struggle when that day comes. Now, it's important to recognize that Jochebed is not content with waiting for someone else to save her child. Instead, she will do whatever it takes, and she takes the initiative. She involves her older daughter in the process, but she takes the initiative of rescuing her family. Now, it's also important to realize that the action she took was perhaps one of the most sacrificial actions she could have done. We know that uh, she wanted to be able to raise her children. She loved her kids. She wanted them to be able to grow strong and healthy. She wanted to be able to pour into them. But she recognized that if she were to keep that child on her own, then she probably would not be able to keep him alive. The day was coming very soon where her child would run the risk of being killed. So she chooses to give that child up for adoption. Now, I know that there wasn't an official adoption agreement that was drawn up, but what she does is she entrusts the care of this child into the hands of another. What an incredibly sacrificial act on the part of mom. I know that in this church, there are at least five different people who have been involved with adoption, uh, typically as children, but even as offering Uh, a home to others. I want you to know that in every aspect of adoption, there's an incredible sense of beauty and grace. For the mother who gives up her child, recognizing that it is in the best interest of this child, what an incredible act of love to do that. Because she wants so much to raise her children, but she knows that the child is better off with another family. For that child to know that someone will choose to embrace you. I didn't have a choice with my kids. Now, I would have chosen my kids. I do like them. But that being said, I really didn't have a choice. In my situation, my wife gave birth, and that was my child. I didn't really have a choice as in, okay, I want that one. For those who are adopted, they are chosen. They are invited into the family, and they are asked to become a part of something not on the outside, but on the inside. What an incredible role that those children play. And for that family that invites them, it's actually a model of the adoptive nature of God. 
as he adopts us into his spiritual family. Do you recognize today how each one of those individuals play an incredibly significant role in loving this child? Back to our story, and I want to wrap this up because I've got a a special uh, surprise for everybody today. I love the creativity that she displays in rescuing her son. Actually, I find the plan utterly ridiculous. She's going to make a small boat for her son and then float this boat in the water, in the river, and then Pharaoh's daughter would rescue this baby. Really, that's the plan? Did she not know the risks that were associated with this plan? I mean, this boat could have tipped over with the baby in it. The baby's only three months old. This is a dangerous situation. It's in the Nile River. There are crocodiles in the Nile. It's a very dangerous place. We're told that they put the basket there where the reeds were. So basically where even the crocodiles could hide. You had no idea. There may have been one that was sitting there waiting for lunch. And Moses was going to be lunch. Pharaoh's daughter might have rejected the child that was being offered. It was being sent down this river. Surely this mom knew the risks. Surely she feared the potential hazards. But she did it anyways. This tells me that the level of her faith far exceeded the level of her fears. I'm going to tell you that as parents, there are times that we will fear the things that are going to come in front of our kids. Man, I, I want to be able to set up roadblocks to protect them. Sometimes I got to let them go. And sometimes I have to give them the opportunity to do things. That's a hard thing to do. But when I have my faith in Jesus Christ, he is the one who enables me to let them go. I want to encourage you as parents to make sure that you are setting that example, loving God above all else in front of your kids, so that when those moments of fear come, your faith can override that. The result, by the way, is a godly man. We're introduced in verse 10 to who this man is. It's a man named Moses. Moses would be the one who would eventually become the deliverer of God's people. They had been in bondage and slavery in Egypt for probably close to 400 years. Yet Moses would come and deliver them. It's interesting. In fact, I love this aspect of it. God actually turns the tables. The same Pharaoh who was set on killing all of the male children of Israel would basically become the caretaker for Moses. Uh, It would be his daughter who would care for him. But of course, um, even Moses' real mother, Jochebed, uh, she ends up, she still gets to nurse her child. She still gets to be involved with his life. Um, The only difference is, did you catch what uh, Pharaoh's daughter said? I will pay you for nursing him. You mean you're going to pay her to nurse her own child who will eventually become the deliverer of the people of Israel to get them out of Egypt? Are you serious? God can take even that which seems impossible and make it far better. I will guarantee you Jochebed never pictured it being this awesome. But God worked it out so that it would be amazing. I'm going to tell you motherhood and parenting can be just as amazing when we choose to put it in God's hands instead of our own. What could God do through you, through your children, through your grandchildren? I'm telling you, there is no limit to what God could do. If only we will put our trust and our faith in him. 
I want to close with a word of prayer, and then we have a gift that is going to be passed out uh, from our children. But I want to encourage you today to be the heritage for others. We have a generation of kids who need you to be a godly man or a godly woman. Will you choose to do that? Father, we come before you today. Again, we are grateful for the heritage that we have. We're grateful for the moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and neighbors and people from our churches. We thank you so much for the love that they have extended to us. Thank you for those who have been so, so faithful to be models of righteousness for us. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be models of righteousness for the next generation. I pray that you would help us to constantly be aware that there are people who are watching us. Their eyes are open. They are looking for one who will show them the way. Lord, help us to show them the way. Lord, I pray for our children today. I pray that you would put blinders on them when there are things that shouldn't be present. I pray that you would help them not to see it. But I pray that more than anything, you would help us to show them what they need to see. Help us to show them you. Lord, we praise you today for your faithfulness. Thank you again for those who have loved us. Help us to love those who come behind us and to model your love for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.